The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm here with a very special guest on this particular episode, none other than Mr. Joey Powell. Now, I don't know what I should, um, what accolades I should give you. I guess you, I, the newest, the host of the newest podcast, The Throwback from uh, Inside Carolina. That's how I'll introduce you on this one. Yeah, that works, man. I mean, either way, it's. Uh... I'm happy to be here, and it's good to it's good to be talking to you, despite all these uh, crazy end of days that we're dealing with. I appreciate that we've got this opportunity to chop it up today, buddy. Yeah, man, it's been a minute. Usually, we would talk about some professional wrestling, as that's usually how we spend our time engaging in conversation. But today, it's very fitting that you have this brand new podcast that you just launched. Before we dive into what I'm want to talk about today, let the people know where they can find it the concept behind it and kind of your idea and how it came to be. Hey man, I appreciate that. Um, so if you've ever heard Bill Simmons podcast, the rewatchables, uh, it's Bill and a couple of his, his buddies that are in the business usually sit down and, and rewatch, uh, a classic movie and they go through and you know, talk about the meaningful points of it. And I really loved that. And I was like, man, why can't I do that with, with big time Carolina games, whether it be football or basketball or whatever. And uh, I pitched it as a Carolina. The timing was a little bad because it was right before uh, fall media days in July, and we're getting ready to be spread so thin, covering you know Mac first season back and whatnot. Um, so we kind of put a pin in it, and then when this coronavirus stuff hit, you know everything dried up. Uh, the timing was right, and they were like, "Yeah, so we were going to wait until the summer to do this, but well, you know, let's go ahead and get rolling on it." So. You can check it out uh, on – you can search iTunes under any uh, Inside Carolina podcast. Uh, it's for InsideCarolina.com. They are the 24-7 uh, University of North Carolina sports uh, outlet. Uh, those guys do an amazing job with content. It's regularly probably, if not the top, either top two uh, visited sites amongst uh, college athletes on the 24-7 network or college athletics on the 24-7 network, excuse me. But yeah, I just started the started what we're calling the throwback, and we're going back and looking at classic North Carolina games. Uh, we started out with the 2009 game at Virginia Tech, which was a Thursday night game. It was the biggest game and uh, may have been one of the biggest wins in the Butch Davis era. Uh, too bad it originally got stricken from the record by the NCAA. <laughs> but um, and then this week we'll we'll be talking about the. Uh, 2017 UNC versus Kentucky Elite Eight game, also known as the Luke May shot game, because that just hit its three-year anniversary uh, about a week and a half ago. So we'll be releasing that on Thursday, as as you're, you know, we're recording on Monday, I guess. If anybody's still keeping track of days anymore, um, but it'll be out. Just go to InsideCarolina.com. You should be able to pick it up there. I appreciate you allowing me to plug it, buddy. Oh man, no problem, no problem. It's very fitting that I'm going to have you on. I didn't have any prior knowledge to that, but uh, I, when I corresponded with you about this, but it just happens to fall right in line because we're not going to look at a classic game, but we're going to look at a classic season in Carolina yeah, history as as we record this, this would be the night of the national championship. 
the way things were scheduled mm-hmm. six weeks ago, but because the world has changed, there is nothing going on. But in the same vein of the Hoya Paranoia series that I'm doing with K-Bads, I got Joey here and we're going to look at the 1992-93 North Carolina Tar Heels. Do you want me to sing One Shining Moment? I can if you want. <laughs> we can wait for the end, man, when all the okay, all right. comes down. Uh, all right. The roster included Eric Montross, a junior senior. George Lynch, a senior forward. Donald Williams, sophomore guard. Brian Reese, a junior forward. Derek Phelps, another junior at point guard. Pat Sullivan was a junior. He was a forward. Kevin Sullivan, in his junior season, played center. Henrik Grodel, a senior guard. And Matt Winstrom, a senior center. Um, Henrik Rodel was probably the first foreign player besides maybe Drazen Petrovic that I remember kind of growing up as like, hey, you know what? That dude can kind of play. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was also, you know, kind of that post-Cold War era where, you know, Americans started traveling back to back to Germany and, and back to also Eastern Europe. Um, it, but they were going back and they started seeing you know, the basketball was still there. And, you know, as, as we saw, you know, just a few years, or I guess just a summer prior to this, the team we're talking about in 1993, you know, the dream team was out in 92. So it kind of really, I guess, rekindled that globalization and, and launched uh, basketball into a, a different global stratosphere than it had ever been in before. And it's, it's never looked back. Um, I'm with you on Rodo, man, between him and, and Petrovic. God, that's, that's just a, a tragedy in and of itself. Right. Uh, if anybody's ever had a chance go back and watch the Drazen Petrovic story on the 30 for 30, which is God, it's probably seven or eight years old now, but that was really, really well done. But yeah, man, I'm Rodo was, uh, Rodo was a guy that I think Guthridge had seen over. No, wait, 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 let me, I'm sorry. Let me back up. I, I'm getting my stories mixed up. Um, Dean Smith had actually gone over. That's what it was. He had gone over to speak at some sort of, um, at some sort of, you know, leadership convention at a college. And the professor that lined it all up gave him a, a tape of Hendrick Rodel playing basketball. And I think that's how Hendrick ended up uh, ended up in Chapel Hill. Right. And if I'm wrong, somebody can totally blame Don on that. <laughs> now, uh, we'll go back to 1992 because that's very pivotal for this team, the 91-92 season, as this whole team – they went to back-to-back Final Fours. But the uh, unfortunate thing was they lost to Kansas uh, in that game where the student beat the teacher. The first time Dean Smith had ever met Roy Williams in a real live action game. It was in the Final Four. Uh, the unfortunate memory that I always have from that game is Dean Smith getting ejected with about two and a half minutes left and did not having a chance to shake Roy Williams' hand. Uh, and the line to just congratulate him into getting into his first national championship game, his first trip to the Final Four, and all that. It's always a bittersweet game for me. Yeah, it's and the funny thing too is if you want to really dig the knife a little bit deeper, uh, Duke had just won the last two national championships. Right. Yeah, that was going to be my next point. Is that you know just coming into this season where we were as far as here locally, you know, Coach K had finally met his promise. He'd been to the Final Four four times and never won it, but he'd won back-to-back, first time since the Wooden Era. Everybody was kind of looking at Dean like, oh, I think it may have passed him by. You know, he would, you know, his teams were competitive, but they weren't, you know, to that championship level until just the 91-92 season. Then everybody was like, okay, Final Four run came up a little short, but then we come back for 92-93, 
And the team went 34 and 4, 14 and 2 in the ACC. Uh, that was good enough to win the regular season. They averaged 86 points a game, which was 16th in the NCAA. They allowed 68 points a game, which was 62nd in the country. Uh, their team leaders, Eric Montrose, led the team in scoring. He averaged about 15.8 points a game. George Lynch led the team in rebounding, was a little over nine and a half. The Tar Heels began the season ranked seventh in the preseason and began the year with seven straight wins. The first loss of the season came against the Michigan Wolverines in Hawaii on a late night game that I don't know how many people saw, but uh, it's a tie game. And Jalen Rose got a tip in. I think Jawan Howard missed a shot. And, yes, uh, Jalen exactly right. And Jalen Rose got a sneaky little tip in at the buzzer to win that game. That uh, the funny thing about that game, man, is I don't think that uh, I don't think many people saw that because if memory serves, I don't think it was on TV. Like no. not, not not only was it so so late, you know, because it was Hawaii time, I don't think it was available to be watched on the East Coast, so people had to find out about it on their sports uh, the next day. You know, I, I want to go back to a stat you threw out a second ago. You know, you mentioned that team averaged eighty six points a game. You need to remind the audience that this is a forty five second shot clock era. Right. So, yeah. So yeah. getting 86 a game, I mean, that's 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 getting up and down, man. That's getting some buckets. And, um, you know, another thing about that team, what did you say they were ranked? 60 something, 66th uh, points scored. Let me go back. Uh, defense. They were 62nd. Yeah. 68. Okay. Three. So you hear that and you're like, all right, they're, you know, they're top 20 percent, top 30 percent in, in, in all of Division one. But I think that that stat may be a little misleading because they had an absolute couple of dogs on defense in Derek Phelps, who may have been the best perimeter defender that North Carolina's ever had. And I, I don't say that lightly. Um, he may be the best perimeter defending guard that, that Carolina's ever had. And George Lynch turned himself into an absolute like NBA career journeyman just by being able to rebound and play defense. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, th- those two guys, I think, while, you know, 62nd in the country is, uh, you take that or leave it, those guys had some dogs on defense. And I think that especially when you got down to uh, the end of the season and their, and their run to what would eventually be the national championship, they really did ramp up their defense, especially right. on the ball. And their rebounding margin was just so significant over everybody as well, as far as defensive and offensive rebounding. Yeah, that well, that's, big, that's always been a staple yeah, of, of Carolina between right. between Dean to, to to Roy Williams. It's always been that way. Um, speaking of defense, I, I actually remember, and I, I may mess this up a little bit. When they played, um, they played Cincinnati in their elite elite eight game, mm-hmm. and Nick Van Exel comes out, and he's I mean he's absolutely he on fire. Yes, he yeah. is. <laughs> um, and you probably know where I'm going with this. Van Exel comes out and he's absolutely, you know, he's, he's hitting shots from basically Newark, East Rutherford, you know, across the river. I mean, he's, he's literally throwing it in from everywhere. And I remember, uh, the way the story goes that Dean Smith said, all right, Derek, you're guarding Van Exel. And Derek felt, uh, just face guarded Van Exel the rest of the game. Um, didn't let him get the ball. I think Van Exel had two points for the remaining 30 minutes of the ball game. And again, that was uh, that was a a number seven at the time Cincinnati team. They were a two seed. Um, absolutely had some studs on their squad. And you know it, it, that's just it speaks to the ability of Dean Smith to be an absolute magician. But that doesn't happen without 
Uh-huh. Some guys that are absolute defensive dogs. That's right. That's right. Uh, after that loss to Michigan, Carolina, they won nine straight games and they moved up to number five in the polls. Then the Tar Heels and the Strange Feet would lose their next two games in blowout fashion to Wake Forest and Duke on the road. They got bludgeoned in both of those games, 20-point losses. Which is weird because if, if you look, they – um. Those those were their two lowest point totals of the season too. So it's it's while we're talking about defense, it's like it's like they ran into some themselves. Um, the funny thing is, if you want to go back right before that, right before those two back to back losses, maybe you could have seen some fractures. And you know, I don't know if whether their legs were were get, starting to give out or or maybe this the the season started to wear on them. But prior to those two two losses, their immediate game before that was against a Florida State that team that was brutal. absolutely stacked. Yeah, that was the twenty one point comeback. Yes, and that that's so. It's one of those things where if they would have lost that game the way the game looked for thirty five minutes, then all of a sudden you know they've lost three in a row, and everybody's kind of scratching their heads, right? Right. right. But they came back and won that game. Right. So all of the flaws that may have kind of started creeping up nobody thinks about because it was such a miraculous comeback. Right, right. Um, That's the greatest Dean Smith comeback of my life that I actually witnessed. And it all started innocently with about nine minutes and 50 seconds left. Henrik Rodel hit a three. Henrik Rodel. And and, and honestly, the funny thing was, is Henrik Rodel and Matt Winstrom, I think, keyed that. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, And and Winstrom was their their third. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Shout out to Bamani Jones. (laughs) But this was... This was the squad that was always, you know, you had the Fab Five. Well, UNC had that 21 feet of white. Right. Right. They had the three seven-foot white dudes that played, and they kind of rotated them in, in and out. And it, it was Montrose, Salvadori, and, and Winstrom. And all three of those guys ended up playing in the league. Uh, I think Winstrom was a was a free agent that signed um, after he graduated. But all three of those guys had had time in the NBA. And, yeah, I think Winstrom and, and I think Rodel keyed that, that comeback. But that was – by the way, for you listeners, that, that that game is actually out on YouTube, and we're going to talk about it coming up on the throwback uh, probably in about a month or two. It's a very significant game because really the is. year before, man, Florida State came in and <laughs> put it on Carolina. Flipped them. And, Just flipped and them. they asked, uh, was, it, was it Sam Cassell or Bob Sura about, hey, Sam you guys Cassell. weren't intimidated coming in here. And they was like, well, you know, walking in, we were kind of, you see all the jerseys. But once the game started, oh, they don't make a lot of noise. This is like a wine and cheese crowd. It was like, it wasn't that, it wasn't that hard. To, yeah, it wasn't that hard to play in here. <laughs> and then for a whole That's decade, it, it was... they were trying to erase that. And, and and Sam Cassell hit hit the nail on the head. But I tell you what, if you go back and watch this comeback uh, in '93 against that uh, again a loaded Florida State squad, yeah, um, yeah, it wasn't quite. Then I'll tell you <laughs> that. Well, after those two blowout losses to Wake Forest and Duke. What's the remedy that always heals Carolina basketball? <laughs> Good old NC hey, State. <laughs> set the clock to it. Set your set your clock to it. At 100, 104 to fifty eight. How's that for for getting back in line? And, yes, and again, NC State was bad then. Like yeah, they, they I think they were they won less than ten games. They were the dregs of the league. Yeah, so they were. It's not like it's nothing like seeing them for a get right game, as you said. <laughs> so uh, after Carolina won that game over NC State, they went on their second nine game winning streak of the season, which included blowout wins versus Wake Forest and the regular season finale versus Duke. So Carolina found themselves ranked number one headed into the ACC tournament, where they had easy wins over Maryland and Virginia. 
Then the Tar Heels were defeated in the ACC Tournament Finals by Georgia Tech 77-75. They were done in by James Forrest, if y'all remember him and that Georgia Tech squad, Travis Best and those guys, uh, who was named the MVP of the tournament. Uh, I think it was just destined for Georgia Tech to win that tournament. They won their first game on a buzzer beater, and they won the championship on a buzzer beater. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's you know sometimes you can't really you can't really test fate, but but so many chances and. They walked in. They felt like darlings. And again, that, that wasn't a bad Georgia Tech no, team by, by any means. It's, it's not like they were a, a bunch of scrubs. Um, but you're talking about maybe, I'll say 94, 95 is kind of that last, like it's the end of that 20-year stretch from 75 to 95 where the ACC just had creme de la creme. Of yeah, basketball. it was – that was the the ACC that, that you know, that our parents – uh, really grew up watching and, you know, would always kind of uh, hearken to it was that, you know, it was eight or nine teams. Uh, it, you know, there was always a, a tough out no matter who you were playing. Um, yeah. And that, again, that wasn't a bad Georgia Tech team. I mean, Bobby Crimmins always had some players, man. I mean, yeah. it, you know, if you go back and look at their, look at their roster, just guys that made it to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he always had one or two. I mean, and that's, and that's, that's totally ignoring, you know, lethal weapon three, right? Like right. those, those guys were an absolute force to be reckoned with, too. They, they called it, they named it the Thriller Dome because uh, one night in February, or was that January, Dennis Scott lost his mind against us. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I mean, uh, and you could argue that made his career because right. he did. He turned into a specialist and went on, had, again, had a had a stellar NBA career off of it. But that was that was definitely one of the games where he he actually made his bones. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So the Tar Heels, even though they lost the ACC tournament, they were named the number one seed in the East Regional, where they easily ran past East Carolina and Rhode Island, which included a young guy named Lamar Odom on that team. Mm-hmm. The Tar, Lamar Heels, <laughs> Tar Heels had a tougher time, though, when they reached the regional semifinals. They survived the 40 minutes of hell pressure of the Arkansas Razorbacks, 80-74. to 74. And then, like Joey mentioned, next up was that overtime win over the Cincinnati Bearcats, 75-68. to 68. Their star guard, Nick Van Etzel, scored 23 points, like 21 of those in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carolina was led by George Lynch. He had 21 points, 14 rebounds, and 6 steals as North Carolina made it back to the Final Four for the second year in a row. Do you remember that? Uh, do you remember the end of regulation of that game? Is that where Jason Maxfield was on that team, right? I think so. Is that well, where he had a chance to win the game for them? No, no? I'm flipping okay. on you. Um, and he may have, but what I, I guess specifically what I'm remembering, um, just a handful of, just a little bit of time left in that game. Um, and Cody Smith calls a timeout and gets everybody together, and he's he's kind of sorting things out. Um, he actually, uh, he actually sees what defense that, uh, Cincinnati's going into and immediately he's like, all right, I know what we're going to do. We're thrilled. We, we've, we've got this. We're getting ready to win. This is going to work. Um, they ran a baseline time, uh, ran a baseline inbounds off the timeout. And I can't remember if it was an elevator screen or if it was just a, a, a double high screen, but they got a screen for Brian Reese who was going to have an alley-oop. And Coach Smith told him in the huddle, he said, Brian, don't try to dunk it, just lay it in. Mm, well, I remember Reese, that, yeah. Reese, Reese goes up and does what most guys who are freakishly athletic and are getting ready to push their team to a Final Four would have done. He tries to dunk it, and he missed. Yeah, sure. And 
and so the game ends up going into overtime. Luckily, you know, Donald Williams did Donald Williams things as he had been doing <laughs> that entire tournament. But uh, yeah, that 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 absolutely saved what could have been a, a really awful story for for Brian Reese's for Brian Reese's place in Tar Heel history. Um, I'll never I'll never forget that because it was just the play was so perfect and it was so it was so vintage, you know, Dean just out there being the puppet master and, right. and setting things up and had everything exactly knew what he knew what he got, knew what Bob Huggins' team was going to give him. And then it just, yeah, the execution part is what falls apart. But yeah, it's um, if you can find that replay, go look, because it's run masterfully. The Tar Heels were headed back to the Final Four for the second year in a row. And again, they would face Roy Williams in Kansas. But the outcome would be different than it was the year before. As the Tar Heels defeated the Jayhawks 78-68 behind 25 points from their sophomore guard, Donald Williams. Man, that's uh, Donald Williams on the way to uh, what would be most outstanding player of that Final Four. Um, UNC had a uh, had a celebration for this team at the 25 year anniversary uh, for for this team uh, a few years ago, and Roy Williams talked to him that night, you know, and, and spoke to the team when they were in town, and he said that. He said that one of the best things he remembers of his career, one of the best moments he ever had was with Dean Smith, was watching that game in Dean's hotel room uh, the very next night. Oh. So, <laughs> so you know, the teacher beats the pupil, and then the next night uh, the pupil gets to watch the, the entire game from beginning to end with, with Coach Smith. Uh, so, that's, again, it's, just, it's, it's cool to see how history can kind of play itself out. And yeah, like you said, it was it was a revenge if you want to, if you want to make that narrative. Right. It was a revenge game from the year before. Well, the thing that I always heard Roy Williams say about the 91-92 Final Four was that it was his greatest, you know, that, that he didn't get a chance to shake his hand and, and you know, thank him yeah. for everything. But he said that the whole time he'd been an assistant, there was this play that he'd been just trying to get Coach Smith to put into the, the thing. He like he'd run it in all the JV games. It would work every time. He's like, Coach Smith, we got to put this in. We got to put this in. And Coach Smith, for some other reason, was just reluctant to put it in. Well, he was like, well, man, when we got to that play, that game against Carolina, he was like, man, I ran that play to death. And I was like, man, we probably scored about, <laughs> you know, 12, 14 points off of it. And he was like, and the next year, when we were getting ready to play Carolina in the Final Four, what do I see in the very first game of the season? My play in Coach, plays, Coach Smith's playbook. And he was like, that was my greatest. He's like, all the things that I'd ever stolen from him, he's like, he finally took something from me. And he was like, that was probably his greatest moment in coaching at that point. That's, I mean, that's got to be justifying. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things where it's as competitive as they are. You know, it's it, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So, yeah, knowing how knowing how competitive Roy Williams is, I'm sure that was a that was a huge huge feather in his cap. All right. So the Tar Heels advanced to the national championship game, where they would face the Michigan Wolverines in a rematch of that late night game in December back in Hawaii. Uh, Michigan Wolverines were playing in their second national championship game. This was the Fat Five era in its full throat here. Um, those five guys revolutionized college basketball. Um, and then to juxtapose them with their baggy shorts and black socks and black high tops going against probably the two most blue blood of blue blood programs at the time, Duke and North Carolina and back to back national championships. It was just, you know, polar opposites screaming all over the place. 
Yeah, it really was. And I think that, um, I think that one of the things that you know, you'd like to, when you look back on that, on those two teams and how they kind of, how they kind of, I guess, clash the, the clash of styles. Um, it, it, it's, it mirrors a lot to the uh, Illinois UNC matchup, in the 2005 championship, where it was, you know, that, that newspaper clipping that really motivated Carolina was everybody talking about, you know, that Carolina had talent, but, uh, but Illinois was the team. And I think you could kind of say the same thing here, except for Michigan was the one with all the talent and UNC was the one that was the team. Um, but you would be, you would be very remiss if you didn't you know, point out that just like all UNC teams that win a national title, this Carolina team in 93 was really deep, really. Deep. I mean, you know, all the guys that you listed earlier, uh, you know, that they had a really solid starting five, but, you know, coming off the bench, you had, you know, you had Rodel who started some, but you know, you've got, you know, you've got Donald Williams, um, who really lit it, started lighting up towards the end of the year. Uh, Calabria, who was kind of a, a spot minute guy at that point, Salvadori, who played for, uh, you know, a few years in the NBA, um, Winstrom, who I mentioned earlier, uh, Pat Sullivan, uh, Scott Cherry even got meaningful moments in that national championship game. So, I mean, they went a legitimate eight to 10 deep, depending on, you know, depending on what you're expecting out of your reserves. And I think that, you know, once you heard about Michigan's fab five, they had fab five and then one other guy, which I think was Dane or Dugan Fife. I can't remember. No, 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 that Rob was Palenka. earlier. Yeah. Brad Palenka. That okay. actually the game is getting out of hand in Carolina's favor. And then Rob Palenka gets inserted into the That's game. What it was. He hits two threes, and then Jalen Rose hits a three, and they go on a nine nothing run to kind of get their legs back under them. And then Michigan gets themselves together, and then all of a sudden Carolina's back on their heels, and they find themselves down like eight or nine points middle way through the uh, first half of that championship game. It was just a game of runs. Like Coach K was actually um, at the halftime broadcast. He was like, "Well, you know, we thought coming into it, it was going to be a possession by possession game with both teams trying to work it inside, but." It was like, nah, it's really just been a game of runs. You know, good defense leading to, you know, uh, easy baskets. Carolina Dean working his magic, got caught Michigan with a couple of traps, just textbook after free throws, after made baskets, caught him slipping a couple of times with the trap. Um, Michigan was running, uh, they're kind of running an old Skip Prosser offense where they have the three across the lane, but they have the two guys on the right outside the paint and the one guy in the middle, and then it just kind of shifts as the ball moves. So they always had Weber and Howard with good post-up positions. Uh, so it was very they usually get the, the things that I remember in this. I can't, I, this is funny. I don't remember how well they did in this game, but, but if you go back and look at a lot of the highlights, they usually ended up getting uh, either Weber or Howard with a dive out of that set all the time. And that's those guys would feast and just dunk on people's heads all the night. big adjustment all. that they made to that though was Carolina was ready for that and they defended that really well. So what Michigan went to was their more uh double high set. And kind of having uh Howard and 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 Weber kind of play off each other off the double high set. And that tend to give Carolina a little bit more trouble. Uh well, it's- you're forcing you're forcing Montrose to have to move a lot more than he right. needed to at that point, and that's that's how they were able to have the success that they have. Um, one of the things, and if I'm jumping ahead in your notes, forgive me for doing this, but one of the things as a Carolina fan that really grates on me about this game is that everybody remembers Weber calling timeout as if that gave Carolina the win. 
you know, and, and I mean, Carolina ended up winning 77 to 71. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I think they were, they were, were they up one or two when, they when were we ever up, called them? They were up two, 73, 71. Right. So it's not as if Michigan led until Weber did that. But even more, I think one of the things that, that drives me nuts is Weber, you know how Weber got into position to call that timeout that they didn't have? Because he traveled. Because, well, he traveled, but even more, Derek Phelps pushed him to the wing. Like, mm-hmm. if you watch, Derek Phelps pushes out, defending like he had been doing all year, like we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. one of the best perimeter defenders ever, pushes him out into the wing. And I can't, I think it was Brian Reese that comes up the trap with him. And at that point, Weber's got, I mean, what's he going to do? He's, he's, right. he's either throwing the ball off somebody's foot as a prayer, or he ends up, you know, Eventually, as, as we all well know, he calls the timeout that they don't have. I think Jalen Rose said that what was supposed to happen was when he got the ball, he was supposed to outlet it to him. But I think he said Derek Phelps saw it and he jumped in front of him. And that's why he had to hold the ball and travel with it because he was going to pass and he was going to steal it. And maybe that's the reason why Phelps was there when he got to half court to push him to the sideline is because he had jumped the pass that was supposed to send uh, Jalen Rose up the sideline. Either way, he got he got driven into no man's land. And, you know, we you always hear when you're getting coached as, uh, as a kid is, you know, stay away from the out of bounds right. line. Right. There's no sandwich over there for you. Right. right. Like it, that's another defender. Right. And, and ended up going in the door. But, I, you know, I, I, it does grate on me a little bit it that everybody the, uh, – it was the one principle that um, Rip Hamilton didn't follow for the Detroit Pistons when Larry Brown was their coach. That's why they didn't win the championship back-to-back because they had – I forgot who that was they had for San Antonio in the corner. And Rashid came to trap them because they had them in the in the corner, but, but Rip didn't come hard enough and he got the pass out and they ended up getting beat. I'm gonna guess it was uh, Bruce Bowen or Sean Elliott. Yeah, it was one of those. But it was when this, it was when they were trying to win their second championship. They didn't close out on yeah. somebody. I think it might have been Ori even. But yeah, they they had them trapped, but they didn't come hard. Griff Hamilton didn't come hard, and it was like, you know, Rasheed Wallace played for Carolina. <laughs> he knows exactly <laughs> what that was. Larry Brown coached like. at Carolina. I, I was like, everybody's like, man, Robert Sheed, come out that far to guard him. I was like, dude, that was a Carolina thing right there. That was supposed to be a trap, but yeah, Richard Hamilton didn't help him out, and that's why that was. It ain't a trap unless both men are playing it. That's right. That's right. But as we said, uh, Carolina went on to win this game. It was Dean Smith's second national championship in the very same place. He won his first 11 years apart. I think it was the biggest gap in between national championship wins at that time uh, for head coach. Donald Williams led the Tar Heels with another 25-point performance, and he was named MVP of the Final Four. And all in all, man, this was the most North Carolina team to ever win the championship under Dean Smith. The 82 team had all those stars and, you know, big-time players. They ended up having big-time careers. But this was just a team full of good, solid college basketball players. They all got NBA careers, but they were journeymen and role players, no stars. But when it came to the University of North Carolina, it was probably the quintessential Dean Smith team. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good pretty good uh, analysis on that. I mean, Dean won Coach of the Year that year, um, and you know the only guy they had taken in the first round, to your point, was was Lynch. He was drafted by the Lakers, um, and then the next year, you know, Montrose I think went lottery to Boston. Um, but yeah, I mean, they only had those the, those four guys. Um, or five guys, if you count Winstrom's cup of coffee, uh, Salvadorian Phelps were were NBA players, and that was it. 
I mean, those guys were, you know, they were upperclassmen. They were guys that understood the system just like, you know, just like a lot of UNC championship teams. They come up short the year before that. They're really deep. They kind of work on it all, all worked on it all summer. Uh, I, I remember, too, there was a, there's a story that Dean had seen, um, had seen some sort of superimposed picture and had the, uh, the score, the scoreboard from the Superdome uh, where they had won in 1982. It said, congratulations, North Carolina, 1982 national champions. And he had it superimposed to say, congratulations, North Carolina, 1993 NCAA national champions, and had it put in every player's locker that summer. Um, you know, it didn't say who they were playing, but it was something for them to focus on so they kind of get their minds right and start actually seeing what they would eventually turn into a reality. Right. Uh, the Superdome. Ding dong. Extra South, baby. Carolina is undefeated all time in the Superdome. Yep. Don't ever tear that building down. <laughs> yep, don't tear it down. Uh, whenever North Carolina gets around the Mississippi River, whether it's good a things Final happen, Four or, yeah, or a regional, good things happen, man. Good things, things happen. happen. It's, yeah, yeah, from Memphis to St. Louis. It's when they ship us to the Southeast that things get hairy, man, every time. <laughs> the South, yeah. what used to be Southeast back in the 80s and early 90s, but the South, man, we have the toughest time coming out of the South. Yeah, it's it's usually uh, it's usually a little bit of a crapshoot when when the geography falls that way. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's funny, very funny, man. I was just thinking, you know, Coach Smith, one of the greatest coaches to ever coach college basketball, innovator, revolutionary, just all the term superlatives you could ever take. 36 years at this business. Only got to the mountaintop twice. Isn't that crazy? Ten times at the Final Four. Phil Ford always says that that 77 loss to Marquette was was his toughest, not only because it was his last big crack at it, but it, he also, you know, that was the one where they felt like, man, Coach Smith just so close and no cigar. Um, I think that I think the 81 game against Indiana, I think they felt they were going to win that one too. They just didn't know Isaiah Thomas was going to be able to break their traps that easily because yep. that was their it, game plan. If you go back and look, it's just it, it's a series of uh, I don't want to say unfortunate events, but it's it's like there's just one or two abnormalities that that seem to kind of un, unseat him whenever you felt like you are right, they're a sure in this year, they're 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 a sure win this year, they're a sure win this year, and, and inevitably it's just. You know, something else comes along, but that's 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 what makes that's what makes the NCAA tournament always so much fun, yeah, man. Yeah. It really does. And I think that's what is why you know people are like, why do coaches coach? Why do they put themselves through so much of that stress? And it's one seeing the kids excel and do good, and two, it's just the pursuit of that championship, man. It's so elusive. It's so elusive. Um, before we go, I'll, I'll give a quick antidote about Michigan, and now let you wrap this up, Joy. So there's a story in there about Michigan, uh, Billy Packers telling it about Steve Fisher, because, again, this kind of all ties in this four year span all ties in Steve Fisher. How did he get to his final four in his national championship? He beat Carolina in the Sweet 16 yep. on his way to those six straight wins when he was the interim coach. But um, so he's got the kids. He's got. He's got four. He's got all four of the kids. He's got Jimmy King. He's got Jalen. He's got Chris. He's got Jawan. And he's kind of on the fence about the fifth guy. And and his and his dad is like, hey, 
you need to get Ray Jackson. You need to start all five of these guys. And so Steve Fisher's dad is like sick. So the season starts and he's in the hospital and he's not doing good. So um, he there's a game, they play a game and Steve Fisher leaves the game and he goes right to the hospital. And, you know, he just that asked how they did. He's like, they, they won. And he was like, well, how did Ray Jackson do? And he was like, he had like his career night and his dad was like, yeah, I knew he could do it. And then he passed away. Wow. Yeah. I never heard that. Yep. Well that, done, Billy man. Packer tells that story during the game, actually. So it was Steve Fisher's dad who gave him the the confidence to start those five freshmen because that had never been done uh, at that yeah. time in college basketball. Shoot. Yeah, that talented amount of freshmen had never been on one team at one time right. before, let alone start. So, Well, know. and if you think about it, the just the way the scholarship situation was at the time, the numbers rarely worked out, you know, because guys got there and they usually stayed three or four years. Um, so you never had like this vacuum of, of scholarships or just this, this giant set of open, open scholars you could just give out to somebody. Um, I'll, uh, I'll throw one thing out this, the, the 1993 championship run for Carolina almost didn't happen. Um, I found a story written by Adam Lucas, who, you know, is a friend, and I think he's 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 a really good writer for Carolina. Um, apparently, when they were out in Hawaii for the Rainbow Classic, they went out and they were going to do parasailing. And you know, if you don't remember parasailings, when they like hook you up to a, a parachute, you know, you, you hold on to a rope that's attached to a boat. The boat goes really fast. You go up in the air, and you know, the parachute pulls you up and whatever. Well, when they started, uh. George Lynch was supposed to be one in the parachute. And when they actually hit the gas and throttled the boat, they got a mouthful of water and never got out of the water. And apparently, like, you know, ingested quite a bit of salt water. So instead of instead of having a national championship, you know, they could have got prepared, had, you know, their their most outstanding player on their team uh, die in a, you know, in a parasailing accident uh, prior to prior to the season ever getting off the ground. Well, th- thankfully that didn't happen, but you know, it's, it's, again, it's one of those what ifs, what if, and, and so on. And then, you know, they ended up, they ended up making it work and they'd go through and, and, and when the, the, what is, what at the time was the rainbow classic and the rest was history. Yeah, man. It's just a fantastic team. One of the very first teams that I remember just following every game, this was definitely at the beginning of the ESPN machine. Um, you yeah. know, hyping up college basketball, ACC basketball in particular. Um, so, and a lot of that was due to, again, a due to due to the Fab Five. I mean, right. yeah, those guys need to get their credit. I mean, that was absolutely just something brand new and, and different from from what everybody was used to. And if you heard the crowd in the Superdome, the crowd was mostly rooting for Michigan. It was a really pro-Michigan atmosphere in there because when they started going on their big runs, especially in the second half as they were coming back, man, that place was loud. It was like, man, it was just jarring being like, man, there's a lot of people cheering for Michigan in there during this game. Yeah, go figure, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, Joey, I thank you, man. I don't want to take up any more of your time, but before you go, just give people a shout-out, tell them where they can find you on Twitter, let them know where they can find the podcast again, and anything else you got going on, man. Yeah, well, I, I gave up Twitter about two years ago, so I, I still can occasionally go in to check in for information, but you won't see me tweeting anymore. But definitely go check out our podcast. It's it's done by InsideCarolina.com. Uh, again, it's the North Carolina Athletics uh, 24-7 affiliate site. 
Uh, and you can search on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get the podcast from. Uh, and just search for Inside Carolina Podcasts. And, and ours is called The Throwback. Another one dropping this coming Thursday. And uh, we should have some coming about once a week for you every so often now. So hope folks will check that out. And uh, appreciate you having me on, buddy. It's oh, always man. fun. I appreciate you as well. I'd just like to give a shout out to Joey for spending some time with me. Let me give a shout out to my dog in the background who isn't too happy yeah. right now. Uh, give a shout out to everybody who listens to Know the Score, everybody who's been uh, indulging me in this special little project that I've partaken in the past couple of weeks. Give a big shout out to K-Bass for spending his time talking to me about those uh, early 1980s Georgetown teams. We've got one more in that series to go, the 1984-85 team. Uh, we'll talk about that team that came up just a bit short against Villanova and which was the true start of March Madness and the explosion of the NCAA tournament. But that'll be another show for another time. So for my co-host, Joey Powell, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.